This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Gang's all here on a Wednesday night. Thank you so much for stopping by Seattle Sports tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined by Stacey Ross and Jake Heaps. Heyo. What's up? I was waiting. You were so excited before the show started. <laughs> Got to get fired up. Are you kidding me? There was lots of yelling in the studio. There was a lot of whooping. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was trying to yell at you, but there's a soundproof glass door in front of us. There Curtis. is. And sometimes we try to communicate with you, and it so, just feels like you're ignoring us. Curtis, I just got the brunt of that. Don't oh, worry. Uh, yeah, no yeah. problem. No problem. <laughs> now, before we get into any sort of sports talk here, uh, Geno Smith, he's coming to Seattle officially, signed by the Seahawks today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake, you were witness to maybe his most known event in his NFL An career. Eyewitness. Yes. An eyewitness. An eyewitness I was it. an eyewitness, had maybe the best seat in the house. Nice. It wasn't close, but it was... It was unobstructed. Yes, it was unobstructed where I could watch everything happen and literally, I don't know why, it was like something I sensed that there was some tension in the mm-hmm. locker room. And I looked up, and I'm watching this happen, and then I'm seeing you know, kind of some more hand gestures and you know, a little bit more intensity. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Like, <laughs> this, this is getting kind of wild. <laughs> what, what, what are they talking about here? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden I see Gino's finger go in the guy's face and like kind of push. I'm like, whoa, whoa, something's going on. Finger then, in the face. Yeah, like, mm. Mm, like get out of my That's face. I'm, I'm going to push you with my finger. Right, kind of disrespectful. Very and then disrespectful. out of nowhere, boom! Open hand slap. I was like, "Whoa! Like, what's going on?" I'm gl- I was just glad that I could watch from afar. Now that seems like a credible eyewitness report, Stacey. Don't, don't... Yeah, it sure does, but it, it seems a little suspect mm. because it's almost like he knows a little too much. Why? But also, <laughs> Why would this be is Jake not sharing the entirety of the information question, of Curtis. this? account between Geno Smith and Ike Enum Kapali of years ago. Well, if you listen to Danny David Moore today, Dave Wyman apparently threw our guy Jake under the bus here. Fight or whatever. That was between his first and well, second I don't think year. It was a slap fight. He got well, his it was, jaw broke. Yeah. By an open hand slap. Really? That's impressive. Yeah. Big old meat hook just came in and knocked him out. But yeah, Jake Heaps was part of it. Whoa. What? Whoa. Wow. Oh, wow. That is uh, quite the allegation, <laughs> Jake. <laughs> Do you have anything to say for yourself? Yeah. Uh, the defense <laughs> would like to call Jake Heaps to the stand. <laughs> yeah. One, I'm confused, okay? I don't know what you're confused Two, about. I cannot confirm nor deny anything. So um, that's Are not- Are you pleading I, the fifth? Yes, I am pleading okay. the fifth on this story. Uh, but no, I was not involved in this altercation if in, in a form. Any person in this office that would be involved in a physical altercation be Bob Stelt. It would be Jake. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it yeah. would be Bob Stelt. Yeah, yeah, it would definitely. I don't know be if me. I, Bob is not the one I'd want to fight. Well, no, he's, Bob, he's a black Bob, belt. Yeah. Here's the thing, Bob. Although very trained and and could take any one of us down at any mm-hmm. time uh, without question, he would not be the one to get in a fight because usually those people. They, they do everything that they can to yeah. stay out of a fight. Like a Navy SEAL, yeah. they have to actually inform people of who they are because they don't, like, one, it's, well, it's hey, like I don't having a, a weapon. That's yeah, like how exactly. Bob and I both feel that way and why I think <laughs> I would also be the least likely to be in a fight here because it's kind of like, 
I don't want to do this to you. I don't want to unleash right. what can My, happen. Your fury. And it's it's dangerous, yeah. correct, honestly. Correct. But the uh, but the one person that I could see is Dave Wyman, for oh, sure. He yeah. seeks out combat. He no, seeks out fights. Like, no. this, is, this is somebody who walks into a room who's just like raring to go. Just like, there's all right, a, who wants this business? There's a I'm part ready. of Dave Wyman who I think wants nothing more than to just... To just see one person take a purse and start running. Oh, that's think, happened to him you know, before. He did? He, did he tackle him? Yeah, he tackled a, a purse thief before. Dude, it was back when that, he was playing in Denver. He's got a great story about it. He if, jumped out of a moving car. To what? Do. Yeah. Yes. Classic Dave Wyman. Hero. So that is just shocking that he would claim that I was part, part well, of that altercation. That was not reported by any media whatsoever. Well, Dave may have a scoop on this. He's he's well plugged. Maybe. Can you maybe, imagine? Maybe if I'm Dave just that sneaky. <laughs> Dave's just like behind in Jake the co- is Dave. Just, just at Jets camp somehow. Just found himself in the area and yeah. Dave Wyman hiding behind like a pole in the locker room and <laughs> just got eyes got eyes on the scene. I guess so. So Jake, I mean part of he, the instigation, part of the altercation. Uh, no, I would just say that I was right. a eyewitness to the situation. Whatever you say. Yeah, okay. Well, um, Seattle Sports at Night, as we start off every single night, we take a look at, at what's on the timeline. And, I mean, Jake's fight with Geno Smith, not on the timeline or alleged fight with, with Geno Smith. But uh, Geno Smith officially a Seahawk. They announced the signing this morning. The roster now at 90 players. Going to be interesting to see the backup quarterback competition in training camp this offseason. I don't know if either one of these guys are going to be on the roster, him and Paxton Lynch. Well, who would it be if not either? Maybe somebody else. We saw it last year. Brett Hundley wasn't in training camp at all with the Seahawks. That is true. Oh, so you're saying we traded traded a fifth or sixth Sixth round round still mad about it. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. He didn't even end up on the team afterwards. So... Uh, they do I, I have a lot of draft capital. They do ten picks. But okay. Don't don't wish that okay. on yeah. us. Okay, please <laughs> don't just, wish that on I'm us. I'm just putting it out there. Paxton Lynch or Geno Smith, figure it out. Be productive in the preseason, please. Look to me, this is a position that you hope never ever sees the field ever. So what you're wanting is you want someone competent, someone that could fill in if things broke down uh, for a short period of time. And I think right now, when you just talk about experience. Geno Smith is that guy. Now, if Paxton Lynch can beat out Geno Smith in a in a healthy preseason competition, great. That's a former first-round talent that has figured out who he is as a person and, and has learned how to be a professional in this league, so that's a positive. Uh, so either way, I'm just hoping that both of those guys step up their game uh, going into this preseason. So there's a full quarterback room at Seahawks headquarters right now. Uh, one of the newest roster additions, Ziggy Ansa. He joined Brock and Salk this morning. Uh, another former teammate of Jake's. Jake's just, you know. Let's go, baby. They're, they're signing everybody he's ever yeah. played with. I've been everywhere, so yeah. yeah that's they, true. <laughs> Did, uh, when you were playing in, what was it, the FXFL? Oh, yeah. How many other guys on that team went on to play in the NFL? Uh, I would bunch? say there was about... That's a good question, actually. I think there was about eight guys that, that wow. ended up playing, and there was about four of them from my team specifically. One of those guys was Deshaun Fox, receiver. He was on the Seahawks roster uh, along with me, and he was there for two years in 15 and – or wait, 16 and 17. He was there in Seattle. 
I mean, they're just signing everybody that Jake knows. Maybe they're going to sign Stacy and myself. Hey, being around me, that's a good thing. You never know. I guess. But uh, Ziggy Yancey, he joined Brock and Salk this morning, talked about his decision to join Seattle, and then also gave an update on his shoulder. Uh, We're going to get into what he had to say to those guys coming up in about 10 minutes from now. But, uh, I mean, if Ziggy Yancey isn't ready to go by the season start, is that a cause for concern, or is this going to be something that the Seahawks just kind of roll with and, and find their way throughout this you know, preseason and then the first couple weeks of the regular season? It's a good problem to have, I think, because, I mean, it's better to have 8 to 12 weeks of Ziggy Ansah than no weeks of Ziggy Ansah. Agreed with that. I mean, his production as a player when on the field is elite, and so you're hoping that with the doctors, with the training staff that is there in Seattle and all the resources available to him, they can get him on the field as soon as possible, but also not rush it as well. And I know that that's what Pete Carroll and this group does better than anybody else, is they're not going to rush Ziggy Ansah because they are wanting to look at this as a long-haul move for the season and not trying to get him going on week one. So whenever he comes out, it's going to be because it's the right moment and he's fully healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think there's no reason to panic if come training camp he's not on the field and I know it'll be the first thing that that we're all asking and we're all looking for as reporters but I think everyone in the back of their minds knows that this is something that'll that'll probably head into the season and that that's okay for Seattle right now speaking of former landing stops for Jake the Jets they fired GM Mike McCagnan today we all kind of woke up to this news very surprising move I mean yeah let okay let's they let him go through the whole free agency process the mm-hmm. entire draft and then just a couple weeks after, this they let him go. This is weird to me because why would you let someone go after you've let them carve out the future of part of your team? Absolutely. You've let him spend one million plus dollars in free agency, right? Four big signings, two of them, Le'Veon Bell and, uh, and Mosley, C.J. Mosley. And with C.J. Mosley's contract was an obscene contract in terms of setting the market for him, which then affects the Seahawks with Bobby Wagner. So awesome job, Mike McCagnin. Uh, but you look, you let him do that. Then you also go through a draft process where he had the number three pick. And, and so to me, you look at it and go, all right, you've got to make one, one decision or the other. You either cut him and, and, and fire him immediately after this last season, or you let him ride this thing out uh, and see how the season goes. And, and then decide your future of your of your GM. The last time I will say that Mike McCagnin spent that kind of money was my rookie year with the New York Jets, and that was their best year in, in that span. So it would be kind of interesting to see what happens with this team, but just very, very odd timing to fire a GM after he's gone through all of all of this, the decision-making, really, for your entire offseason. Well, and you set folks up for failure, too. This is the same problem so many other organizations have had, is that you let your GM, your head coach, your OC, whatever it is that you've replaced, make a lot of decisions that affect the upcoming season, and then the new guy comes in, and suddenly he can't, you know, he's he's got these players that he didn't draft, he didn't scout, uh, he didn't he didn't choose to come in, and then if he doesn't do well, then now he's on the hot seat. Well, and it turns out that was a big point of contention between Mike McCagnin and Adam Gase, who was the guy he hired to be the head coach, is that Gase didn't want to make big, flashy free agent signings like Le'Veon Bell and, and C.J. Mosley. They went out and did it anyway, and, well, Gase has the entire reins now. He can do whatever 
is that he wants. He actually made a trade earlier uh, this evening, trading linebacker Darren Lee to the Chiefs. So he's already kind of putting his footprint in the organization. He's going out with a bang. Yeah. It's like a sleeper cell. Yeah, which is funny because Darren Lee was a former first-round pick, I think, of the yeah. last year, right? And so you traded him for a six-rounder. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, All, especially when you just signed C.J. Mosley. Uh, your linebacking core looked like it was going to be dynamic. You trade away one of those pieces. But, Curtis, to go on that, it's like Adam Gase, really? You're going to give yeah. more control to Adam Gase. Got fired by the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Like, what are we doing? This is the most Jets thing I've ever heard of. And, I, I <laughs> and think, that's it. Yeah, and I think this definitely puts the throne of laughing stock of the NFL in, in the Jets' possession. You right think now. safely in there? Yeah. In their the Browns court. have become a little more respectable. How about the Bills? The Bills are just, they're just kind of lovable losers. I okay. mean, their fans are somersaulting on the Browns onto, onto were flaming losers. tables. Yeah, but the Browns are starting to win now. Okay, so they're no longer lovable up. losers. No. They're the up-and-coming kind of like... Yeah. They're like the, they're like the, the kid Chicago, that got like a makeover. Uh-huh. They're the Chicago Cubs in like 2015 okay. before they won. They're cool now, though. So yeah. it's like, but did you like the Browns mm. before? Yeah. Did you like their early albums? Yeah, I don't just, think so. Yeah, now that they're on the top 40 charts? Okay. Uh, some other news in sports, college basketball news. Uh, Federal Way's 2019 five-star forward Jaden McDaniels expected to have announced his college decision any day now. He's one of the last remaining unsigned players in the class of 2019. He's narrowed it down to two, Washington and Kentucky, very reminiscent of the Terrence Jones and Ennis Cantor decisions from, like, what, about 10 years ago now? Yeah. Uh, where they both were down to Washington and Kentucky. ESPN has the 6'10 McDaniels ranked as the number 7 recruit in the class of 2019. Jake, you've found yourself in a very similar situation, being a highly touted recruit, having to make a college decision. In the days that led up to where you made your decision coming out of high school, what were those last few days like before you went public with your announcement? Well, it's kind of stressful. It's stressful because you want to make sure that everything's right, that you're doing everything right possible, and, and what you what you think is the best interest. And uh, also you're looking at it as you're excited, and you're also looking at it at the, as the pros and cons. Like, you know, Jaden McDaniels, being a local kid, and let's say he chooses Kentucky, you've got a lot of disappointed UW fans around town that – aren't going to treat you the same way as they did once before, before you made this decision. So uh, a lot of things will change uh, for him locally if he decides Kentucky. Um, but this, if you're talking about the Huskies and, and being in this opportunity to potentially get Jaden McDaniels, this is huge. This is what you're looking for. And what we talked about um, them playing in their last game, there was a huge talent and size disparity. And getting a player like J.D. McDaniels, not only is he a talented man, uh, a young man, but he is also 6'10". So you add both of those things, and you're bolstering that roster in that aspect. Absolutely. To pair him with Isaiah Stewart, another five-star recruit who they landed earlier in the recruiting process. Uh, some weird things on the timeline tonight. The Boston accent, which... I don't know about you guys. I don't know who voted in yeah. this poll. But it was ranked the second best in America what? behind no, the Texas No, it was accent. ranked the second. Was it best or second sexiest? Ooh, I think it was sexiest. I think it was. That was. It wasn't just Sexy? best. It was specifically yeah. the sexiest accent. Uh, are you kidding me? Boston. Uh, who? What? No. Yeah. Who no. did this? Yeah. I don't. That's a great question, Jake. 
I know we sound like haters, but this has been a a I've seen this all over the place. Yeah, people being like, "Well, I don't know about that." But it's pretty funny because when you talk about American accents, that just tells you that us as Americans, we don't have anything cool from from an accent standpoint. There's not one of these. What's the list? What's the top five? Give me the top five. Do you have the top five? I sure do. It's number one Texan. Okay, number two Bostonian. Heck no. Number three, New Yorker. Definitely not. If Number you listen to four any New Yorker. is Maine. Okay, I don't. I'm not as familiar with a Maine. Accent. I don't know what that is either. Strange. And number five is Chicago. Yeah, definitely. Chicago. Not. So no. it just tells you that you've got terrible accents across. You either speak good English, or you have an accent that just doesn't sound very good. If you've got an English accent, if you've got an Australian accent, that sounds pretty cool. Here's a here's a good example of a Boston accent. We spoke with some loyal fans who are buying a little something for everyone in their lives. I am so excited. Like, you cannot believe how excited we are. We came right from our place of business to Models to get what? The AFC Champion T-shirts! Yeah. Have you ever heard Salk do, have you ever heard Salk do an impression? I keep forgetting he's from Boston. Does yeah. he have? Yeah, we does got, he yeah, have he does. a Boston out in Worcester. You're on the line here. Yeah. Somewhere. So, uh, so, uh, yeah. I, no way. There's no Sexy? way. Sexy. No. That, that's crazy. Can't get down with that. But what I can get down with is Ziggy Ansa being on the Seahawks, and he spoke with Salk and Brock today. Which, by the way, Brock's also got some news. We'll get into that as well coming up here. Uh, but Ziggy Ansa, he spoke to Brock and Salk today. What did he have to say, and what did he give a timetable for his return? We answer that and we look at and listen to it too. Coming up next, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to Seattle Sports at Night via the 710 Sports app. It's driven by your Puget Sound Accurate Dealers. Coming up about 20 minutes from now, four football questions in four down territory to wrap up the first hour of action here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider Stacy Ross, and the quarterback Jake Heaps here with you until 9 o'clock, so strap in. We're, we're just getting started here. Uh, some other news we didn't get to in the timeline. Uh, Brock Heward announced today that he is... Uh, leaving ESPN's college football coverage to join Fox's. We we know Brock pretty well here. At yeah. least I, I think we do. <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah, he is a co-worker of ours. But with that comes the very important thing now in 2019 that you got to do when you make a move like that. Is right. you got to change all those social media handles. you got to do it. it. Well, what you mean by that is I don't know if Brock really thought this through. No. Right? He. He's talking. He's looking at numbers. He's looking at opportunities. Right. You know, maybe this really cool promotion. But the one thing that Brock Heward did not realize was that he was going to have to change his Twitter handle. Yeah. I mean, the guy has it. Brock ESPN. Can't you, do it. You can't do it anymore. You're mm-hmm. on Fox, bro. Yeah. So, um, I think he made a catastrophic mistake and not yep. pre-planning this yeah because my co-hosts here yep. have gotten a step ahead of Brock Heward. Mm. Just yeah. when you think you know the answers, we go and change the question. Yeah. <laughs> Hate to see it, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we've created our own Brock Heward Fox accounts. Yeah, we've, and, uh, <laughs> we've swooped up about a handful of we're potential We're willing to Brock exchange Fox them. Yeah. Here's, here's some of my favorites. 
Um, we've got at Rocky Ward Fox. That's the obvious one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll part with that one for just like, you know, like a little a coffee gift card yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we've also got at Fox Heward, which I really mm. like. My personal favorite that I thought of shortly before the show, and I, and I, it sucks for Brock because he's probably going to want this one, is at Foxy Broxy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I like right. that one a lot. That one, we're looking at. Uh, that one's going to be a little a little more expensive. Now, yeah. now Curtis and Stacy are taking up all the possible Brock uh, Twitter <laughs> handles here for Fox, so that they can extortion him for for money out of these situations. If he wants exactly, yes. one of these Twitter handles, I don't. I'm not calling it extortion. I'm oh, calling you're not? it. A, I'm calling it a trade. Trades are fine. Everyone oh, trades. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like when uh, you go to a new team, somebody's got your jersey number, and they want. Yeah, it and... you just got to do a trade. Sometimes exactly. it's even friends make trades. Sometimes you just have two people. I. Curtis and I happen to have all of these Brock Heward Fox Twitter accounts. Exactly. And and he happens to be Brock Heward. And so, like, I feel like that's just a trade that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. There's also some that have been taken that we had no part in taking. Uh, at Brock on Fox, that was taken by who knows. Someone has uh, another one. I don't remember it, but it was another very simple one, like Fox Brock or something like that. Yeah. And, uh... It was created in 2009, and I don't think they've ever tweeted. And so I like to think they had this. They knew they, what was they up. knew what was going to happen yep. ten years down the road. Yeah. So anyway, that's some good just, foresight right yeah. there. We'll see when Brock. I think it's a when Brock learned. learns this. We'll see what his reaction is going to be. Oh, I. If he's able to learn this, I mean, I, he's kind well, of, he's, he's going to learn it. He's yeah. going to learn. He's going to look up all. He's going to try and change it. And be like, well, everybody has. They've taken all the Twitter handles that yeah. I want. Yeah, check the tape, Brock. You'll know who to <laughs> you'll know who to contact if you want one of these handles. We'll send out our rates. Exactly. Uh, for this one, we're looking at a twenty dollars gift card <laughs> to start with. All right, uh, Ziggy Ansa. He joined Brock and Salk earlier today uh, for his very first public comments since coming to Seattle. Uh, and the I think the main focus of this. The one thing I got from it is Ansa giving at least what he thinks is his timetable to return, which really isn't one. I'm just going to take it a day at a time. Um, I don't have no timeline as of right now. I'm just waiting uh, to see uh, what the doctor is going to say, but until then, I'm putting in the work every day uh, to get the body right. So we're kind of in this holding pattern with Ansa. He's on the roster. He is a member of the Seahawks, but... He's not going to be able to go right away. Right. And that could bleed into the season. I saw it on the Coors Light text line earlier. Uh, I forget where it was. But they kind of mentioned the Seahawks were in the same position with Percy Harvin back in the 2013 season where they got him, but he wasn't able to go right away until midway through the season in that Vikings game. Um, If the Seahawks find themselves in a similar situation, is it – going to be bad news for the Seahawks if Ansa can't go six games into the season. Yeah, I think six games, absolutely. Because six games, that really alters your season potentially. If you're talking about a couple games, uh, you can get through, I would say, a max of four games and still have the impact of Ziggy Ansa be positive and still have a, a winning record for your team. If it's longer than that, then they can bleed in and affect your opportunity to get into the playoffs. Um, and so I don't think all indications from the Seahawks side of things are, not, are, are that it's not going to be that drastic. 
they believe that he will be ready to go um, probably somewhere around week two, week three. That's the goal. That's the hope. We will see as this thing progresses. Right now, there is no timetable. There is no uh, clear statement because it's all up to Ziggy and, and exactly how well his rehab continues to go and how quickly he can build that strength back up in his shoulder. So I'm really going to be paying attention is, is he going to be a part of practice midway through training camp? If he can participate and be active in training camp midway through, that to me is going to be a positive sign. If he mm-hmm. is completely inactive uh, in practice, he's not going to play in preseason. Like that, Don't worry about that. He's not playing in the preseason. If he's not practicing, that's going to be the thing that's more concerning to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And even looking at Seattle's schedule, I mean, your first two games are against AFC teams. I know it doesn't really matter. Your record's your record. But if it comes down to it, it it's a it's a slight plus. Correct. Um, a little bit of uh, some wiggle room there. Um, but then you get into like a week three versus the Saints. And, and those are the games. Then you have a back-to-back against your division opponents, the Cardinals and Rams. So I think once you get into week three, four, and five, I think that's when you'd hope to have um, a little bit more solid of a pass rush if, you're, if you find that you're lacking in your first two weeks. So, so I think that it's, it's good for Seattle in the sense that they, they don't think it's a structural problem, at least from what Clayton says, and, and that they've got a couple months for him to ramp things up and that the expectations are that he'll be slow. Because I think, uh, I think you'd have a bigger problem if you got people feeling like there was some kind of issue that no one was talking about. But this, this really is just something where they're just kind of touch and go. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the two scenarios in which the Seahawks have brought in guys who aren't 100% healthy in the last in, in recent years, and it being Percy Harvin and Ziggy Ansah, the difference between the two, at least in my eyes, is the Seahawks wide receiver group in 2013 was so incredibly deep that bringing in Percy Harvin was just a luxury at that point. You had Golden Tate, Doug Baldwin, and Jermaine Curse guys who put up numbers right throughout their careers, and then to add a, a game-breaking wide receiver like Harvin on top of that. Whereas with Ansa's addition on this defensive line, outside of Jaron Reed, there are a lot of question marks. And even with Jaron Reed, can you produce again at that level uh, another season in a row. Like that's fair. to me, I look at it where if Ansa is not ready to go, that's going to be a little. That's going to be more concerning than you know other times that the Seahawks have been waiting for guys to get healthy a couple weeks into the season. Well, then you get into the the debate that Jake and I were having. What was it Monday, Jake? When we were talking about what's the next move they should make, and if that's the way you're looking at it, where it's saying you know yeah they know that there's an injury, but there's a little more weight on this position and, and importance on this position right now, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're in Jake's camp where you say, well, then maybe they need to bring in another veteran pass rusher just in case, or they need to bring in someone to help with that rotation. If Ansa starts out um, and he can't go, you know, a majority of the snaps, then you need someone to help with that rotation. And, and who do you have that can be consistent there? I know you've got Cassius Marsh, but, I mean, Yeah, it's, I mean, Cass- Cassius Marsh right now... It would be arguably without Ziggy Ansah, he is your yeah. most consistent guy, and his best season was last year at five and a half sacks, and and so that doesn't give you a lot of confidence moving forward that you're going to be able to get the production needed 
uh, to to really get after the passer in the way that the Seahawks and Seahawks fans are accustomed to. So Ziggy being a part of this is very, is very, very important. And that's why I believe that it would be in the best interest of the Seahawks to add one of those veteran free agent pass rushers because I, I believe there's only upside to it. You either bring them in, they're, health, they're healthy enough, and they're able to get, you're able to get one really good, strong year out of them, or your other guys step up in that, amongst that competition. You cut that player that you signed because, because there's not uh, a lot that's, that's holding you to them in terms of salary cap and also their contract in general in, in terms of guaranteed money. And your other guys have shown that they're ready to take on that role. The Rasheem Greens, the Jacob Martins of the world, uh, who are ready to take their game to the next level. And Bob Grouse and Tom, when I was on with them earlier today, they asked me, why, why are the Seahawks constantly being labeled as a middle-of-the-road team by all these quote-unquote experts and, and writers? It's because there are so many guys like Rasheem Green and Jacob Martin and all those guys that you are relying for them to take a major step in mm-hmm. year two, year three, and the only people that know they're going to do that is the coaches and the G and the GM and and the scouting department in that building. Everybody else lo- is looking at the roster, going, "Man, you don't really have a whole lot of help on that defensive line. You don't have a whole lot of help in that secondary, right?" There's there's some major holes from an outsider perspective about this roster. No, I I agree, and I think <clears throat> in that point, and this is. Semi-related, but when you talk about being a middle-of-the-road team, I think part of it is that you always have a bar that you're a standard you're held to, and a lot of that is set by former iterations of your team. And so the Seahawks have a pretty high bar if you're comparing them to um, teams that they had at the beginning of Carroll's tenure. But even then, Jake, to your point, I think when you look at the strengths of teams, I I think that having – uh, for instance, a really strong wide receiver group um, might not mean as much if you don't have a really strong pass. So there's certain positions and groups that just have a little bit more weight and that carry the team a little bit more as far as how people evaluate the strength of a team. And I agree with that. And I think that Seattle's going to find itself in that group until they can manage to to have those rookies step up. Coming up 10 minutes from now, four down territories. The Seahawks opening up their OTAs to the media. So which one Seahawk will we be looking out for coming up uh, next week? But up next, the NCAA, are they on the verge of actually paying players, of actually compensating players for their likeness? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710. ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Four Down Territory coming up in just a little bit. With the Jets having a power struggle between head coach and GM, how have the Seahawks been able to avoid that? with Pete Carroll and John Schneider over the years. We answer that question coming up in four-down territory. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider Stacy Ross, the quarterback Jake Heaps here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Stacy, you seem to be fired up about this next topic. Yeah. I Okay, so as background, I ended up doing this really long kind of in-depth article slash project on – a case that uh, most people are familiar with, even if they're not familiar with the name, but it was the Ed O'Bannon case 
that that he brought against the NCAA and it's former the case, UCLA basketball player. Yes, and it's the case that led to the to EA Sports stopping their Madden their college, NCAA, football NCAA football and NCAA basketball games. Yeah, yeah. totally. I didn't play them. So. <laughs> I but played them religiously. That's, that's a shame. That's a shame, Stacey. And they were the best games Absolute Every shame. single time yeah. this comes up, And Jake gets was really a playable upset. character at one point in those games. It was well, pretty cool. Yeah. The reason that they were taken away is because you did not get paid for that. And so... <laughs> that is they, very true. It's very true. And so I think that... Uh, what this is to me is initially it it reads as though the NCAA is going to consider paying players, and that's not what it is because the NCAA is pretty steadfast in their assertion that they are not going to pay players. They players are there for educational purposes; they're student athletes, and they they won't budge on that. And they fought this case, the Ed O'Bannon case, which ultimately upon appeal stalled. So so ultimately you could say the NCAA kind of won that one. Initially Ed O'Bannon did and it was looking like the NCAA would have to let p- players uh get paid, but mm-hmm. that was I did the get case. a settlement check for that by the way. Was it like 50 bucks? It was yeah, it was like 250. Oh, that's not bad. Not bad. Yeah, but it was a it was a that's joke. A I, I thought you thought, I thought I was going to get like a couple thousand you at the time. You were waiting for it. Here and we go. For it, and I got that I got that settlement check in and I'm like, "Oh baby, let's open this bad boy up." It was 250 or something like that. I was like, oh, "Are you kidding me?" That's when I would the angry NCAA about things. NCAA just finds ways to continuously stiff student athletes. So, and, they, yeah, they do. And this is something where I think I think that Jake because Societal norms, I think, are changing around this. I think more and more fans are fine with with players getting some form of compensation. For instance, I am fine with players being paid. Some people might not be fine with them being paid, but they might be fine with players should be allowed to get paid to go to someone's birthday, or they should be allowed to get paid to be in a car commercial. Well, to, to piggyback off of that, when we saw the FBI trial uh, go on college basketball and all these players allegedly having received payments, the public outcry over it was just very little. It was just kind of like, okay, whatever. Well, people also know what's going on. They, they know that there's these things that are going on behind the scenes. It's almost expected. I mean, how many movies, how many uh, things have we seen come out? I mean, he got game. That was the whole movie was about that. Right. So it's well documented. It's well known that there is a little bit of shadiness that goes on, with college athletics, with recruiting, with agents, yep. and, and so forth. This topic right here, to me, is really a power struggle of the NCAA. Is there, is a, there is a big move, a big way of change for athletes to receive compensation. It, look, it is well documented, and especially as much as the NCAA is getting more and more benefits in terms of money and, and revenue, it's insane to me that Dabo Sweeney can get the contract that he gets yeah, and the players get nothing in return other than a free education. Don't get me wrong. That's amazing. Right. It is incredible. But thing. it is not. It's not an equal value of no. what they bring. It's, yeah, it's the- like working for a multi-billion dollar industry and then your paycheck is just this tiny fraction when you're contributing to a lot of it. And you think, well, w- wait a minute. I understand if we're a startup and I'm happy to kind of get what I'm getting, but but I probably will not go to the NFL or the NBA. I prob- most, most players do not. Like, Jake, when you think of your teammates, mm-hmm. I would imagine that most players who made it, their teammates, a lot of them didn't. And Correct. I think that 
when you look, a lot of those players, maybe they weren't stars, but some of them were. Some of them have injuries that just keep them out of the league. And I'm sorry, but getting a scholarship and, you know, your full ride or whatever just doesn't cut it for me when in, the industry makes over a billion dollars in revenue. Correct. And and that's the part of all of this. Uh, we got a text in from uh, the 206 that says, how much is education, room and board? What does a full ride player get? Over time, that can be a huge monetary value, right? I remember when I was getting recruited and I'd actually get uh, letters from universities saying, this is what our education is worth. Here's what room and board would cost. Here's what tuition costs. And ultimately would come out to be somewhere around hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's a huge monetary advantage for a player. And someone like me who comes out into the workforce, I'm not in debt, right? Like a lot of other people are, and that's a huge advantage. But also, I know that myself and others who have added way more value, like a Zion Williamson, are you kidding me? The NCAA had a camera dedicated to him. How much revenue did Zion Williams bring to Duke and the NCAA? A lot of money. And he doesn't see a dime of it. And, and so I look at this, and it's, it's not everything is created equal. So uh, I understand that college sports, is, it's meant to be for, for amateurism, but it is not. It is not amateurism because there are so many other people from the administrative side uh, to the NCAA heads that are making way too much money off of this. Yeah, when profiting am- way too much money off of this. When amateurism was in its infancy, it was you know in the 1890s when you had glee clubs going up against each other. They didn't expect that TV revenue and shoe deals would become a part of this, making it a billion-dollar industry, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And you've got these kids who are who are practicing at ridiculous hours, who have to balance that with a full class load, and and they're not getting a dime for it. Meanwhile, the school can put their picture on schedules, on T-shirts, on you know billboards across town, in commercials, and yet they're still having to do that. Well, think about this too, Curtis. I think this is really funny as well, is you're getting also for your star players, uh, particularly for most colleges, and especially the high-level colleges, is they are selling jerseys mm-hmm. with the same number as their star players. But no name on Coincident? the back. Coincident? Yeah, no name on right. the back. But coincidence? Definitely no. not. When I was in college and everyone had a number 10 jersey, everyone knew it was Jake Locker. So right. That's why you're wearing it. So at the University of Arizona, where I went, the basketball team number 23, that was Derek Williams when I was there, they had his jerseys. Up until a couple of years ago, they had been doing that. They changed it now to they only sell jerseys with either the number one or the number of the year that it is. So next year it'll be jersey number 19 in the in the team store. Yeah, so they did that because they didn't want to be subject to any kind of lawsuit uh, when it came to player likeness. This is, this is my thing. From the 360, that paying players leads to bidding and eventually kills the goose. I think... This person is saying that conversations like this are superficial. You don't get to the point of the problem. I just think that sometimes, I'm not saying it's that simple, but I'm saying that the NCAA is able to do this. Yeah. They are. And if not, then then they are able to allow players to regain the rights to their names, images, and likeness when they leave school. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps they pay players... Um, $5,000 a year that goes into a trust 
uh, so that we can use your names, images, and likeness. And now we get the rights to them, but we've paid you for that. Correct. I, I think that there's uh, definite ways that they can get that done, Stacey, in, in ways that would make a ton of sense. The other thing that I look at this is the other argument is that you have small schools that already are losing money in their athletic programs, and then to go and pay college athletes is a really tough task to ask them to do. But when you're talking about specifically the Power Five conferences, they can absolutely do it. They can Mm -hmm. pay them from their TV revenue deals alone and be just fine. And so to me, it's one of the things that you're looking at the most profitable schools and you're looking at those schools and saying, okay, if you have a TV deal, you take those, you take X percentage of those TV deals and you pay your players from within your conference. It's a conference by conference basis. So every so the SEC, those kids are going to get paid a little bit more than the Pac-12. And that's the way they go about it. Is that a recruiting advantage? Yes. But it also is an incentive for and it's your... already it, there's already those incentives that exactly. are there that just aren't yeah. as obvious. And exactly. this is from... Uh, the 206, and this is where I think this message is is getting lost. In 206, thank you for texting in. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Uh, this isn't a knock, but I'm. this is my response. Should the locker room attendant for the Seahawks make $300,000 because the Seahawks are a $1 billion organization? No, but I'm not talking about the locker room attendant. I'm talking about a player on the field. I'm talking about someone that's leading to a lot of that revenue. And imagine if a Seahawks player was told, okay, we'll pay your rent, um, but you can't get a job anywhere else. Uh, you you can't be in commercials. And if you choose to leave, we can dictate where it is that you go. And you have to wait a year before you play. I know it's not an even comparison, but I'm saying this isn't, that's not quite the same It's not analogy. even close. No. It's, it's not even close. Let's be honest. I mean, that's way off from from what we're talking about here. You're talking about the people, the actual the actual product itself. Those are the players that are the product. The so, kids that were on the cover of video games. Correct. Exactly. So that's that's the part you're looking at. And and so I know there's a lot of things and that's that makes this muddy, uh, that muddies the waters, and so we'll probably never see this happen. But it's interesting to see this, you know, come about more and more and it continue to pop up. And if the NCAA game ever came out, EA Sports, NCAA you would have to pay your players for their likeness. And so will that happen someday? I don't know. I would love for it to happen because I really enjoyed playing that video game back in the day. (laughs) It was pretty dope. Coming up next, how the Seahawks avoided power struggles between Pete Carroll and John Schneider, unlike what we saw today in New York. We answered that question next in four-down territory. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Jake Eaves, Seattle Sports at Night. This this is four-down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. Four down territory, kind of like the two-minute warning. we got to be quick here. Four chances to put seven on the board before we head in to the end of the first half of Seattle Sports Night and get ready for our number two. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider, Stacey Ross, the quarterback, Jake Heaps here. Four Seahawks questions coming your way right now. Number one. Question number one, Seahawks, they've had their they will have their first open to the media OTA on Tuesday, May twenty first. Which one Seahawk in particular will you guys be keeping an eye on? Well, to me, without question, it's gonna be my man crush, DK Metcalf. Mm. I want to see how he does versus the veterans. When you're watching and evaluating him at rookie minicamp, it was simply too easy. It was too easy versus those DBs. DK could do whatever he wanted. 
uh, and was able to find a way to get open. He was very impressive, and I believe that he's going to be an instant contributor. How big, I don't know, but I believe that he's going to be able to step up, step in and contribute and, and be a, uh, an impact player for this team. Now, as we watch in OTAs, if he's struggling versus the veterans, versus Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin, that will be interesting to see uh, moving forward. I, I think OTAs is more, you have the ability to evaluate more of the skill players than you do the offense and defensive linemen. The offense and defensive linemen are more working together, hand in hand. They're giving full effort, don't get me wrong. But until you see the pads, you can't really get a great evaluation of those players. It's really more of the receivers, the DBs, the linebackers, running backs, tight ends. Those are the guys that, quarterbacks, those are the guys that you can really get a good evaluation in OTAs. Number two. Second down. Going to be reading a lot of tea leaves over the next couple of days about OTAs. But what should we not read into mm. during these OTAs? What should you not read into? I was think. what about... Uh, because you can't, what can't you do during OTAs? Refresh my memory. So well, when you're looking at like tackling and stuff like yeah, that, yeah, you so, can't you can't tackle. So and, you probably can't read into too much where the defensive players. Correct, are. and also the DBs, they're not allowed to really fight for the ball right. uh, a lot. There's actually Pete Carroll and, and the Seahawks got in trouble uh, for this, uh, and and during my time, it was a complete freak accident. But they actually ended up getting in trouble by the NFL and NFLPA for a DB that was acting out of control and went and tried to go for the ball and there became more forced contact than desired or that was preached by Pete Carroll. And instead of that player being uh, disciplined for violating the rules, it's actually the team and the Mm -hmm. head coach that gets disciplined for that. So that's one thing that you're not going to be able to evaluate a ton on because the DBs have to be very careful in terms of fighting for the ball. The other thing that I would be careful of is getting too much into uh, how great a shape a certain individual is because you, you don't know OTAs. It's great that a guy has come in shape and ready to roll, but you don't know what that is going to translate into once you get to training camp preseason and eventually on the field for the regular season. I think as far as what you can take away, maybe uh, maybe reps would be an obvious but yeah. but pretty true answer in that if you notice that uh, DK Metcalf is out there significantly more than a veteran. I think that's telling. Absolutely it is. Uh, they, they are, look, they don't have a whole lot of time. They don't have ample amount of time in OTAs and in training camp now, for that matter, with how the CBA works. So the guys that you want to get on the field, the ones and twos, you're going to get all the opportunities you can. Uh, and the coaches are going to try and force the issue. So, like, for example, in my case, I was the third-string quarterback trying to fight for a roster spot, competing with Trevon Boykin. Trevon Boykin was the guy they wanted, and they gave him significantly more reps than, than I ever got in OTAs. So there's absolutely things that you can read into uh, going into OTAs. Number three. Third down. Jets firing their GM, Mike McCagnan, earlier today due to a power struggle between him and head coach Adam Gates. How have the Seahawks avoided power struggles like the Jets when Pete Carroll is the one who actually holds more decision-making power than John Schneider? One, I believe it's like-mindedness. I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll understand exactly what they're looking for, exactly what a Seahawk means to them, and also what fits their scheme. GM, head coach have a firm understanding as what fits best into what we want to do. The second thing is Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is... Uh, he has ultimate say and ultimate control. When you really look at the the power brokerage between the two of them, 
But Pete Carroll is selfless in that aspect. He plays a lot of different hats, and he doesn't just play GM. He looks at this more as a head coach role and lets John Snyder be the GM and the decision maker on the roster. Pete Carroll has the final say with how this goes, but he lets John Snyder do his job, and I think that that's worked really well. When you look at the Jets in this case, it's just Adam Gase and Mike McCagden clearly not on the same page and have a clear disagreement as to what they want and are not able to come to an agreement or understanding because there's too much ego involved. John Schneider, Pete Carroll understand exactly what they want to do, and this is for the betterment of the organization, not for themselves. We punched it in in three downs. That's how good we were tonight. Ooh. We got it into the end zone in three downs. Didn't even need the fourth down tonight. Uh, That is another edition of Four Down Territory here on Seattle Sports at Night. Coming up in the next hour, last night was the NBA Draft Lottery, which still feeling the ripples of a day later, which kind of got me thinking, should the NFL adopt a draft lottery? Would we like to see that in the National Football League? That's coming up around 8.15. But up next, Felix Hernandez put on the injured list, expected recovery time of four to six weeks, but does that timeline match up with the severity of his injury? We look at that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.